Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Welcome to episode number 316 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the biggest tennis strategy lie that you probably tell yourself, that you've probably been told by others. I think it's a very, very strong underlying assumption that the vast majority of players and coaches have. And so I'm looking forward to digging into this. And I'm going to leave you hanging in suspense a little bit. I'm going to tell you what the lie is in just a second, and we'll get into detail about how to overcome that roadblock or that pitfall that so many tennis players fall into. And by the way, this is a universal thing. This is singles. This is doubles. It doesn't matter how old you are, what level you play, which type of tennis you play, singles or doubles. This this is a misunderstanding, that a misperception that just about everybody has. And I, I think it's critical to address this issue because players all over the world are stuck because of it. And so before I name it, I'd like to tell you a a quick story because I think it's a perfect illustration and it's just the one that's on the top of my mind because I've been working remotely with a student for just about six months now. We, We have a program, coaching program called Essential Tennis Elite, where we work remotely with a player. They send us video clips of themselves hitting shots or playing points. We write an action plan for them. And then periodically, about once a week, maybe more frequently than that, they send us update videos. We review and send them feedback and analysis and update the plan. And we go back and forth. And so this particular student I've been working with, we spent the first four months, maybe five months, working strictly on technique. And he made some awesome technical changes, a lot of big steps in the right direction on critical parts of his game that he wanted to improve. And then he decided that the the final month together, he wanted to focus on strategy. So to get things rolling, I asked him to send me some set play. And he, he has no problem. He's been around media his entire life. He has zero camera shyness. So really easy for him to go out. He, he lined up three matches. And within a week, I had three different opponents playing against him. And so I got to see a wide range of different styles of play up against my students and see what shot selections he used, what patterns of play he used, what targets he was aiming for, and really got a full range of exactly where he stood with his singles play. And the context here is I was looking at his, he's a singles player, but the the principle we're going to be getting to applies to doubles players equally as well. In fact, I will give you a specific doubles example that, that qualifies perfectly into what we're talking about today. So he recorded those three sets of match play, sent them to me. He watched them, of course. He, he went through and, and cut out all the dead time in between, made it really easy for me. So I sat down, watched all three sets, and he told me right off the bat that he wasn't happy with how he played. Now, he's seen himself on video a ton over the last several years, so there was no surprises as far as technique. He was purely talking about his patterns and his strategy. He was like, you know what? It's kind of it's kind of weird, and I'm going to be paraphrasing everything that he said, just so you get the, the gist. But he was like, you know what? I'm, I'm really kind of disappointed. I, I thought I was playing smarter than what I was. And, and watching myself on video, I, I, some 
big patterns really got revealed to me that I, I wasn't realizing I was making these decisions so much. So he kind of had some immediate revelation. But then here's the kicker. I watched them and I went through each set. I made a lot of pretty detailed notes and and left time codes and said, okay, this opponent at this point in the video, you made this shot selection and this has been a pattern over the last couple of games. And then there was there was this momentum change and then you started aiming over here. And so I was very detailed with it, but there was a couple of really specific themes that that were repetitive for this student. And the one in particular, I'm, I'm just going to point out one. There's been multiple things that we've been focused on. But the one specific example, just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, is he's a right-handed player. And initially, in, in his very first set play, he was over and over again receiving a forehand. So if you just picture yourself, if you're a right-handed player, picture yourself playing singles. He was getting drawn over to his backhand side. So he was moving out to his left. And his backhand is definitely his, his weaker shot. And his forehand is his stronger one. He was getting drawn off to the left, sometimes forward into the court, sometimes backwards, sometimes just kind of neutral out to the left. And he was hitting a lot of down-the-line backhands to his opponent's forehands. All three opponents that he played were right-handed players. So this is him taking his weakness choosing a low percentage target down the line, trying to attack with it to his opponent's strength, and then leaving himself vulnerable on the next ball with his opponent's strength hitting away from him into an open court. I'm just going to leave it at that. I could do a whole podcast episode of uh, just kind of breaking that apart and explaining why it's such a poor decision to make that shot selection. And that was the the biggest thing. I, I pointed out several other patterns and and tactics that he was using as well that just didn't really make a lot of sense. But that one in particular just made no sense at all. And it was very repetitive. And he was going to it over and over again. So I sent him an email with all this feedback. And he read the feedback before watching himself on video again. And he kind of sent me a text after he read my email and said, thanks, you know, it makes sense. You know, I, I, I see where you're going with this. But I kind of already already kind of knew this stuff. Like, there's not. I, I got the sense from his message that he was kind of saying, you know what? There's not really anything new here. I'll 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 review you know the time codes that you you sent, but it doesn't seem like there's anything super groundbreaking. Was was kind of the impression that I got got from his initial communication. So, <laughs> with my notes in hand, he watched back through the matches looking at the specific points where I was like, what's up with this? You know, what, why are you aiming there? What can you explain to me your reasoning here? Like your thought process? What, why were you trying to, to use this pattern? Like on the surface, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of tactical sense. So then we had a phone call and he, after watching the videos with my notes and comparing my critique and my analysis with the reality of re-watching himself play singles, all of a sudden the veil was lifted from in front of his eyes and he just had this like revelation, like holy crap, like moment where all of a sudden it just made so much sense to him and he couldn't believe how little sense a lot of his targets were making, in particular that one specific pattern, the, the backhand down the line. And so during that phone call, we had a long call about this <clears throat> and I quizzed him. 
I said, you know what? Because because I knew I knew that he I knew that he knew, but just kind of to make the point and to just to kind of fill out the the experience for him, I said, you know what? I know you're a really book smart guy when it comes to tennis. Explain to me, real, like in thirty seconds or less, what is the percentage high high percentage geometrically sound way of playing singles from the baseline? Like, what are the rules of thumb? And he explained it to me really well. And then I said, okay, so when you come to the net, what are the principles of single strategy? And he explained it really well. He nailed it. I didn't have to prompt him or give him any clues or any kind of pointers. Like he, he laid it out step by step. And so his poor execution in matches had nothing to do with his understanding or his knowledge or his tennis smarts. And this brings us to the biggest lie in tennis strategy. So what do you think the biggest lie is? If you've been listening to this podcast for more than six months, you know, if you've been listening a couple years now, then you should be able to, to name it at this point. If you're a relatively new listener, then you might just be guessing or you might not really have any idea. <clears throat> the biggest lie in tennis strategy is that People assume that when they know what they're supposed to do, they'll just automatically do it. In other words, my student knew what he was supposed to on paper. If I, if I drew up that scenario on paper and said, okay, so here's the situation. Your opponent just drew you out to the left to your backhand side. Where is the smartest place to aim? He would be able to draw an X on the court on the most high percentage target and explain to me why it's the highest percentage target and why down the line is not a good idea. And he probably could have listed like three out of the five reasons why it would, would have been a bad idea to go down the line, just right off the top of his head. But in real life, during points that actually counted, and when he's under the, the stress and the pressure of a competitive situation, he was making the opposite choice again and again and again and again. So why is this? Well, the answer is habits. <laughs> the answer is we all have our pet techniques. We all have our pet ways of moving our bodies that make no sense, myself included. I, I could list a huge, huge list of things that make no sense the way I move my body. So what is the reason for that? It's, it's called bad habits. I've moved my body in that particular way. And, you know, what is the origin? How did that start? It's impossible to say. It's a chicken or the egg kind of thing. Is it just because that's the way my body wanted to move the first time? Or I misunderstood how I was supposed to do it and I did it the wrong way and nobody corrected me? Who knows? But one thing is for sure, none of us just automatically do the right thing without training. And that applies to technique which is how everybody always thinks about it. Oh, bad habits. Everybody talks about muscle memory, which I'm putting in air quotes, but nobody talks about strategy memory where we have a, a pet pattern, a pet direction of shots. And after a certain number of repetitions attempting that shot, it's no longer a conscious thing. It's no longer something we're willfully saying, you know what, I think I'm going to try this extremely difficult, extremely challenging low percentage shot when I'm being pressured. Nobody consciously says, well, sometimes sometimes we say that to ourselves, but the majority of the time that we make poor decisions on the court, it's a knee-jerk response. It is well below 
the surface. It's well below our conscious uh, computations of like what's happening on the courts. It's a knee-jerk reaction. It's just like technique. When you hit a forehand a certain way for decades, it happens automatically, whether you think about it or not. And when you hit a forehand to a certain target for decades, that also happens automatically, whether you're thinking about it or not. Now, here's the thing. Personally, and this is just kind of, I don't have any scientific uh, data to back this up, but I, I believe that muscle memory habits, aka kinesthetic movement patterns that are grooved through repetition and training again and again, whether we know we're training it or not, we, we deeply train bad mechanical habits. I believe that those are quite a bit deeper than tactical shot selection habits, aka where am I aiming this shot in this scenario? But they're still habits. I think the good news is I think it's a lot easier to change a shot selection habit than it is to change a backhand ground stroke habits or a serve habits or any other kind of technical habit. But it's still a habit. And the story of my student, I believe, illustrates it absolutely perfectly. He could he could write he could probably write a hundred pages about single strategy and all the reasons why and why not to choose certain targets. And he even watched himself, and it, this was not by a far cry the first time he's watched himself play singles. He even watched himself with the explicit goal of figuring out how can I improve my singles game? And it didn't really dawn on him fully what was happening on the court. It wasn't until I connected the dots for him and really drew attention to specific patterns that he realized what was happening. Up until that point, the patterns, I believe, kind of on the surface, kind of made sense to him because it just kind of fell in line with what he would naturally do because it was him playing the set of singles. And so he saw himself try those low percentage shots and he probably said, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe I'll make it next time. And he didn't think much of it. It wasn't, there wasn't much of consequence in his thought process until I went point by point by point and laid out for him, hey, what, why, why is this pattern happening? What is the thought process here? And he realized that he couldn't justify it. He realized that he could not make sense of it based on what he knew about how to play smart tennis. So how do you overcome your strategy habits? Here's some examples of drills and different progressions. I've got four different steps here that you can use to actually overcome poor strategy habits. Number one, and this is an order of challenge. If you've listened to this show very much at all, you know that I'm really big on managing the level of challenge as you train something new. If you challenge yourself too much, then you don't have any ability to do the new thing well, and you'll end up just going right back to your old habits. If you don't challenge yourself enough, then you just stay in your comfort zone, and you don't actually stretch or expand your ability, and you end up also just sticking with your old habits. So from order of easiest to most difficult, number one, easiest, cooperative rallies where, and this was the first thing I assigned to him, 
I told him to go out, get a, a hitting partner, which he has a lot of. He lives in, in New York City. So he's got a lot of different training partners, a lot of different competitive partners, people that that are totally happy to rally and drill and, and work on different elements. It doesn't have to be match play. Still not easy to find those people, but he, he's lived there a long time, played tennis a long time. So he's got a lot of great relationships. And so the first thing I had him go out and do was just cooperative rallies where he didn't even tell his partner what he was doing. He just told his training partner that, hey, let's, let's just go out and do some ground stroke rallies. Everybody likes doing that. But what his partner didn't know was that he was under explicit instruction to follow a very particular set of directions with his shots. Very, very explicit. Basically, what I told him was everything goes cross court unless you're approaching the net. Then you can go down the line. And that was pretty much literally it. I gave him no other instructions than that. I had him record himself executing it and show me that footage. And so the first step was just simply training himself away from that down-the-line pattern on his backhand side. And there were other things as well. I'm just going to keep referring back to that because it's just an easy situation, an easy example of what we're talking about here. And so we took all of his old patterns, threw them out the window, and just said, here's your one master pattern, and do not do anything else. Just hit everything cross court and see what happens. If your partner hits down the line, that's an opportunity for you. You get to now hit diagonal away from the middle, away from that partner, and make them run more. And so this started within the context of a purely cooperative rally. No competitive points, and so he's not it's not that he was trying to beat his partner, but he was starting to notice early on how his running was much less than his partner's running. Every time they hit down the line, they had to run more. And that was a big aha moment for him. So that was step number one. Step number two was competitive points. And by the way, I'm just laying out four general steps here. We had a lot of conversations and a lot of talking back and forth and clarifying and being supportive of him as you know it's just seemed a little bit i think to him maybe extreme at first and as he went through these different steps and different progressions he he gradually more and more and more saw the value in really being strict and and really being very deliberate about the patterns he was using and now he's pretty well on the way of using these in actual match play so step 2 was competitive feed and play points where he could only hit that pattern. So now he went out with a partner, and this was after maybe a week or two of doing the cooperative rallies and just just training without keeping track of score the new patterns that we were trying to really get him to learn. Step two was training those new patterns, being very strict and very deliberate about where he was aiming every single ball, but now keeping track of score. Not with a a serve and return, just feeding down the middle, but now actually trying to play a game up to 10 or whatever it was that they played up to. And he had to be extremely on top of himself about using the correct targets. And we hung out there for another week or two. Then after that, he started applying those new patterns to a full match with serve and return. And once again, 
his goal was to only use the patterns that we laid out for him. Really boring, really straightforward, uh, really plain, no flair. We're not, we're not going for any kind of, really, we're not trying to hit winners at all. Our, our real focus here was on being a high percentage and picking smart targets and just simply seeing where he could go using just that and nothing else. So that was step number three. And then the fourth and final step now, which he is now on after probably five or six weeks, I would say, is full-on competitive set play with serve and return. And now he's getting the, to the point where he can start to freelance, meaning start to break the patterns if he sees a good reason why breaking the pattern makes sense. And so getting to this point has been a process, and it's been a very systematic step-by-step process where it's one layer of difficulty at a time, and it's the exact same philosophy we follow with changing students' strokes when they come and work with us in person, Start, starting out with just the easiest possible way of executing that new stroke, and then step-by-step-by-step, step step, slowly introducing a little bit more challenge at a time until they can actually execute the full thing in a more real-life environment. So I'm really proud of the work my student has done. It's completely changed his perception and his outlook of his point play. And he's playing incredibly smart tennis now. And he's, he's taken sets and matches from players that he's never been able to do that from before. And he's beating other players that used to be close really easily. And all from having this focus of identifying the patterns, identifying the habits, breaking those habits, and now slowly forming new ones. But if you go, if he were to go through the rest of his career just assuming that all the knowledge in his head was just automatically uh, just being just flowing out of his brain into his muscles, into his racket, and just automatically applying them, applying that that knowledge to every single point and every single shot selection, then he never would have broken away from the patterns he was using before. It took a big epiphany moment for him to realize, wow, I'm just not even playing the way I know I'm supposed to be playing. And so the big lie that you need to be aware of, maybe you're not explicitly being told this lie. Maybe you're not explicitly telling yourself this lie. But it's unbelievably prevalent, underlying attitude that so many players have that, oh, you know, oh, I know that. And so therefore I must be doing that. Trust me, unless you have trained those patterns, unless you have trained those shot selections, nothing just automatically happens that's the right thing. I'm using air quotes there. It must be trained. No matter how well you understand it, no matter how much sense it makes, no matter how obvious it seems when you explain it or somebody else explains it, it must be trained. So hopefully the story was helpful Hopefully this makes sense, gives you maybe a different perspective, and hopefully gets you on the right path to training yourself to choose smart targets, whether you're a singles player or a doubles player. It doesn't make any difference. Get out there, put in the reps, and train yourself the way you want to play. For more free game-improving instruction, be sure to check out EssentialTennis.com, where you'll find hundreds of video, audio, and written lessons. Also, be sure to subscribe to Essential Tennis on iTunes and YouTube 
where we are the number one resource in the world, providing passionate instruction for passionate tennis players. Thank you so much for listening today. Take care and good luck with your tennis.